sound of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks means it's time for another Fantasy Friday edition here on Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast is Jason Catania from Rotographs. Catania writes for Rotographs and specifically provides the Mining the Miners column to those electronic pages. At the beginning of March, he produced a list of the top 100 fantasy prospects, and it's with a discussion of that list that we begin today's conversation. Specifically, I asked Tanya about the methodology of constructing such a list, and also about some of the specific names that appear towards the top of it. Moving on, we look at some prospects whose respective statuses have changed during spring training. Names like Oakland's Josh Donaldson, Philadelphia's Freddie Galvis, and Atlanta shortstop prospects Tyler Pasternicki and Andrelto Simmons. And finally, I asked Jason about some other position battles of note, which also involve prospects. It's Fantasy Friday here on Fairgraphs Audio. It's Jason Catania, and it begins right now. Prospects relative to their uh, their fantasy their fantasy value. Sure, yes. that's a thing we that's a thing you're capable of doing. It is, yes. Yeah, um, I mean, probably the best place to start, uh, so far as that's concerned, is the the top 100 list that you submitted uh, for the readership's consideration at the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's now this it, it should be noted immediately and and often. Uh, probably that this list is intended for fantasy use only. Um, yes, it's for fantasy use and also only for just this year, as uh, some commenters had issues with. Uh, I think the first two or three that I put out, because I put them out, you know, the top hundred, but I put them out in these separate uh, sections of twenty, and uh, through about the first forty. You know, from 100 to 61 or so, people were like, "Why is Jerks and Profar not on this list?" Blah blah blah. Yes, the comments were a bit uh, challenging at some points. Well, can you talk about um, the sort of methodology used and how that might differ from, um, uh, you know, a sort of more traditional prospect list that we might see? Yeah, I think. Um, well, obviously, I mean, obviously, we're taking just this season into account. So anybody who, I mean, without with a few exceptions, anybody who hasn't played really at at least high A or probably mostly double A or above doesn't get much consideration. Um, you know, so for example, even a guy like Nolan Arenado on the Rockies, who's, you know, a top 20, 30 prospect in a lot of people's eyes, he hasn't played a ball, I think, A ball or high A. Um, and, you know, the Rockies only have a great third base situation going on and haven't for a few years. And he's kind of seen as their future third baseman, but it's like he might, to me, he might not come up until, you know, August or September, and it's one of those things where I'd rather have a guy contributing for four, five, six months, um, you know, who's basically major league ready and not necessarily as talented as Arenado, Um, and, you know, this way you get stats and accumulate stats that way, rather than, like, hoping against hope that, you know, something goes perfectly right for uh, for Arenado and the Rockies. Right, so on the one hand, you have talent, um... And and not just any sort of talent, because a lot of, uh, I I would venture to say most 
um, prospect lists are sort of are constructed with a view towards like, probably what scout, uh, scouts call overall future potential, um, mm-hmm. and then some combination between uh, you know a, a player's ceiling and also um, his ability to reach that ceiling, right? Um, right, exactly. Which what you're saying is, uh, I think, partly reflective of that. You're saying players who haven't played, uh, you know, above a ball, like a Nolan Arenado, who clearly have skills. Um, you know, at the same time, we haven't seen th- those players play against um, uh, competition in the high minors, and so you know, obviously, they're going to get different looks. They're going to get pitchers with uh, better control. Um, you know. Probably uh, you know better breaking balls, better off-speed stuff. Um, so I assume besides besides the question of um, whether or not they'll make it to the majors, there's also the question of what they'll look like when they face uh, more difficult competition. Yes, no, it's, it's definitely sort of two-pronged within even that, where it's proximity to the majors, meaning you know you're going to be up in the first month or even crack opening day roster, um, but it's also to sort of get a little bit more of an idea for an evaluation period, um, you know, looking at stats, looking at the player, how he's approaching, uh, you know, like you said, facing, you know, guys who throw a little bit harder, have a little bit more command, who have better secondary stuff. And, you know, you, the guy might look like the bee's knees uh, in high A or something like that and find out that his transition to double A didn't go so hot um, and it, you know, sets him back a little bit and, and, and it's a little bit more of a question mark and not such a more such a sure thing. Did you say the bee's knees? I did, and I was hoping you would, you would call me out on that. Yeah, I did call it. Well, I have two things to say about that. Uh, first of all, okay. you clearly learned you clearly learned English in 1931. I think that right. Yeah, that maybe you were maybe your grammar book uh, when you were when you were younger at uh, in Long Island public schools, uh, <laughs> or maybe Catholic school. I don't know, did you go to Catholic school? I didn't. No, I I almost did, but I did not. Yeah, I was thinking with a name like Catania, I thought, eh, less than fifty percent <laughs> chance, but still substantial that that you could have gone to a Catholic school. Um, right. Secondly, well, I was going to ask if maybe uh, if maybe bees knees was like a um, official scouting terminology that I should no, I should know about. Not or, that I know of. No. Not that I know of. Maybe in nineteen thirty one. Maybe yes. Although I mean, I'm I'm fair game if you want to start trying to catch that up, trying to get that catch up. Oh. Trying to get that to catch on. Well, I'm yeah. No, see, I'm familiar with the book. Um, what's this called? Uh, Dollar Sign on the Muscle. Have you? Uh, are you familiar with that book? I'm not. Uh, well, it's sort of a great. Uh, it's actually it's really uh, very well done, and uh, it's it's a combination of kind of like a, a history slash oral history of scouting, um, combined with a couple of um, you know profiles of at, at the time the book was written. Um, uh, of actual present scouts, um, and, okay. and, and it sort of covers the world of baseball scouting, and you sort of uh, you learn about it through that. Um, I am um, uh, in, a, in clandestine fashion right now. I'm I'm googling it uh, to tell you that the author is uh, Kevin Corain. Kevin Corain is his name. A uh, really excellent text. Uh, Looks uh, from the early 80s. Um, okay. Uh, still still very fresh read. But the, the term the bee's knees, to the best of my knowledge, um, is totally absent from that book. Which would have covered it, but yeah, that's that's interesting. So, so what you're looking at, and what I noticed when I was uh, looking through the, these top 100 rankings that you produced, um, is for each player you're looking at a combination not only of talent, uh, which which is you know we're sort of talking here has has both um, 
you know, overall, uh, you know, this sort of balance between overall future potential and, you know, not only and you know, less the consideration of, of of if the player will reach that eventually, and more will the player reach that in 2012. Is a, is the player at that talent right now? And then you also have opportunity. And I, I was wondering, sort of like how you went about kind of uh, you know sussing out um, for for the sake of this list how you um, how you went about evaluating a, a prospect's opportunity. Um. Primarily, uh, again, looking mostly at AAA guys or guys who you know might have debuted in August or September of 2011, and then seeing how they did, um, you know, either at the upper levels of the minors or in their first taste at the majors. Uh, but also, I like to look at the major league roster uh, and figure, you know, where there might be a hole uh, or a black hole um, that you know needs some somebody to fill in the void and see who, you know, sort of uh, could fit in from the minor leagues, whether it's, you know, an ideal candidate, you know, a, a really tall prospect, or even just a guy who, um, you know, should get 300 at-bats and potentially could pay off and hold his own. Right. And, and, and so that's sort of interesting, too, right? Like, last year, for example, I remember a player, um, now, I'm not saying it worked out terrifically well, but I remember a player like Brent Morell, who, <laughs> who was essentially... Had no competition whatsoever, except maybe from uh, Mark Tehan or something like this uh, for the third base job in Chicago. Um, he was also a, sort of an interesting player because, at least in our auto new leagues, he had shortstop eligibility. Um, nice, right? Right. Which so uh, um, it was a well thought out pick, um, I think, that I made. Uh, if it, even if it didn't really uh, have any value until like the last six weeks of the season when he decided to become Ian Kinsler offensively. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, just just um, off the top of your head, um, some some situations like that that you can think of where where guys have just like they got the, the young players, the prospects who have, who have just the best opportunity right now, and we can kind of get to a combination of talent and opportunity momentarily. Sure. Uh, I mean, actually, this morning uh, I wrote a piece that sort of broke down a couple of uh, maybe I think it was a handful of hitters who uh, you know could break camp with uh, the big league squad, and you know so it was like the Braves with uh, you know Tyler Pasternicki at short, um, and the A's with Josh Thompson and Eric Sogard, who I noticed that you had written about as well. So I had to step on your toes. No, that's um, no, no, that's fine. Well, of course, I mean. I, I, um, these stories um, we can cover from a number of different angles, clearly. And uh, right. I mean, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, you know, um, I wrote the piece yesterday on, on the site, um, looking at, at the, uh, you know, uh, if you if you read the, uh, I mean, the few people who cover the Oakland A's, um, there's some <laughs> there's some discussion as to who should be, you know, the um, the official opening day th- uh, third baseman, and this would theoretically be these, you know. The starting third baseman, all you know, all capital letters. Um, but they're in a situation right now where, uh, you know, Donaldson is maybe a little weaker defensively, um, and, and you know has some power probably, although a lot of his home run numbers, you know, come from both the PCL and uh, and the Cal League, um, which are you know very friendly for hitters. Uh, and meanwhile, we have Sogard, who's uh, definitely stronger defensively, doesn't have the power upside whatsoever uh, of Donaldson. Um, but makes a lot of contact, and you got guys who are hitting from different sides of the plate. So at that point, a platoon 
seems to me to make sense, or a platoon maybe, as uh, Ken Arneson, one of the few people who does follow the A's, um, says maybe a, maybe a platoon between Sogard and uh, and Rosales at third, and then let Donaldson play some third base down at Sacramento. But I'm curious, uh, you looking at that position uh, from a fantasy perspective, um, what's what's your analysis of that? I think from a purely fantasy perspective, Donaldson is the most interesting mainly because he's potentially catcher eligible in some leagues because he came up through the system as a catcher. Um, and I think they, at the end of last season, they gave him a few games in the minors in AAA at third. Um, because, he, I mean, he's, he's a passable catcher and he's, a, you know, maybe sub-passable third baseman. Um, so they kind of want to see where he fits in. And he's already 26 or so. So it's, he's not a, a true prospect. Um, but, you know, given that he could get, you know, a few starts in the first week or two of the season, um, if he's also catcher eligible, especially in a league where you need two catchers or, you know, in an AL only league, um, you know, having a guy who is catcher eligible who isn't playing catcher is always sort of a little savvy pick. Um, that said, you know, he might get five or ten starts in the first couple weeks and flame out and be just sent to AAA and, you know, they let him learn third base a little bit more there too. Now I'm curious and, and, um, this is departing a little bit from the from the fantasy conver- or from the the prospects conversation, but um, just generally from a fantasy perspective, I, I would assume um, that if you can find a guy with catcher eligibility who is not going to be doing a lot of catching, uh, that's probably um, all things being equal, that's probably an advantage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of guys over the years like uh, well, Craig Wilson back back in. Remember, do you remember Craig Wilson yes. the Pirates back? You know eight, ten years ago, who was basically a power hitter who struck out a ton, but for a few years he caught, and so he would always have catcher eligibility, but he'd play outfield uh, and maybe catch, you know, 15 games. And so he was always a guy that, you know, if you play your cards right and luck into it, uh, you know, you could, you could snag a guy like him and get, you know, 15, 18 home runs and not really have a catcher, and this way he doesn't lose, you know, the two or three starts a week. Um, of course, he also has to be on a team that's bad enough that's willing to play him, like the Pirates were, or in theory, like the A's might be with, you know, Donaldson this year too. Right, and um, I'm curious, uh, in that same vein, uh, what your what your feelings are about Ryan Dumit this year? Um, I mean, I, I like Dumit. It's just he's tough to own because he's very injury prone, obviously. Um, I mean, he he's a good guy to have in leagues where rate stats are more uh, relevant than counting stats because I think he'll probably, you know, just get hurt again. Um, but, you know, if he's hitting 290, you know, and over his 350 at-bats, uh, it's, it's helping you, whereas if, you know, you need him to hit 20 home runs and he gets to eight because he's hurt, you know, on June 5th or something like that, that's not necessarily the greatest thing. Right. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, the piece that you had go up on the site earlier, and, and I should... Uh, uh, let the readers know, um, the listeners know, we're talking with Jason Catania, who who uh, submitted uh, his top 100 prospect list uh, towards the beginning of March. We're going to get to some more names on that um, uh, briefly, but um, you mentioned uh, also uh, Tyler Pasternicki, um, the the would-be sh- uh, starting shortstop um, for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, at least uh, it was widely thought that um, he would be the starting shortstop to begin the season, and it might still very well be that. Uh, he he started off, um, I believe he was at uh, 19 overall on your original top 100 list. However, he mm-hmm. has not necessarily done a lot to distinguish himself this spring. 
And Geraldton Simmons, uh, well, defensively has probably done um, quite a lot, quite a lot to distinguish himself. Although offensively, um, at least in terms of uh, the rate stats, he's not necessarily looking excellent. I'm curious as to uh, for you, how, how you feel like that situation has changed even since the beginning of the month? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of where he would rank on my top 100, I probably would move him down at this point. Uh, I don't think he would drop too far because, uh, you know, shortstop is a god-awful position in fantasy this year, and so anybody who's alive, breathing, and playing that position uh, has at least some value. Um I mean, Carson, if you were out there, shorts out there, be, you would have some value. I, think. I got, I got skills. Say. I got skills. Are you, are you more of a slap hitting shortstop who can field, or are you a power hitting guy who's going to let the ball go through his legs? Uh, a deceptive strength. That's how I would say a wiry, wiry build, long levers. Wiry strong. Yeah, got it. yeah. There got you it. go. <laughs> Just to give you a brief um, scouting report. So I think, I mean, I, I would like to see Pas, uh, do more. Uh, certainly. I think um, it might be between that and the A's uh, basement situation. I would I would be sort of surprised if uh, you know any of the guys that we're talking about is still the starter, you know, halfway through the season. But whether a trade or you know somebody else steps up and, and takes the job, it's just I mean, especially the Braves, they're in theory a contender, um, and shortstop is such a an, such an important position. So it's they're basically relying on this kid who's never played. At the major league level and has only, you know, two dozen games at AAA even uh, to carry them through. And uh, not that he can't do it, and not that he can't have some fantasy value and you know maybe steal double-digit bases or even approaching 20 if he were to get you know 500 at bats. But you know, at, at what cost to your batting average? And and then just to just to sort of um, take one more name uh, from that piece you submitted this morning, um, that's Freddie Galvis. Uh, a middle infield prospect for the Phillies. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I don't. I don't know that he did make your top 100 list. I. Uh, um, but I'm curious where you would put him now in terms of a combination of talent and opportunity with the news not only that Chase Utley uh, is going to miss the beginning of the season, but um, I think what just in the last 24 hours, Michael Martinez, who theoretically would have replaced Utley. Um, is out six to eight weeks, it looks like, with a broken foot. Right, he hit him uh, by a pitch on the foot, uh, which fractured his fifth metatarsal or some such, because um, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Galvis is interesting. He's one of those guys that I considered for the you know the latter 20 of my top 100. Um, I guess if I had done an honorable mention, I probably would have put him on there. Um, but, I mean, he's also one of those guys who doesn't really do a ton in either the power or speed department. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's, in, in the past you would maybe say that, you know, he's on a Phillies lineup and the Phillies lineup is good and Ryan Howard and all these other guys and Jimmy Rollins. So he could sneak into, you know, 50 to 75 at bats in the first couple of weeks and look pretty good and maybe score some runs and get some steals. But I also feel like, that is a team that could also very easily make a trade. Um, they were there's always a chance that they could move like Polanco to second and use somebody else at third. Um, and so Galvis is one of those guys where I, I would sort of be shocked if he has more than 150 at bats. So even if he makes a little bit of an impact early in the season, I don't know that he would be uh, a long-term guy for 2012. 
uh, one of the teams that uh, whose players appeared pretty frequently in your top, uh, uh, well, both, I guess you know the top 15, um, but also at least one player after that, is the Oakland A's. Um, you have uh, Jared Parker uh, at eighth overall, um, and two more pitchers, Brad Peacock at 14th, and, and Tom Malone at uh, 42nd. And then you have Yohannes Cespedes. Um, you have Yohannes Cespedes at 12th overall, and I think that was probably even before um, he was named uh, the team's starting center fielder. And I'm, I'm not sure how that would. But uh, that's a team with, with a lot of opportunities. Um, like I just said, Cespedes uh, as a starter, as a rookie. And then uh, and in a starting rotation um, that after Brandon McCarthy is, is almost entirely wide open. Right. I mean, they have injuries to uh, Brett Anderson, who's out until probably August or so with his Tommy John surgery recovery. And Dallas Braden, I think, had a setback recently. Um, I forget exactly what his injury is, but it's just an injury that will keep him out. So that's opportunity for somebody else. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, obviously we know that uh, whatever the name of the Coliseum is there, what is it, OCO Coliseum, I think, now? Oh, right, um, yeah, that's... We don't want to think about that. That's not. It's not, <laughs> right. it's not really it's like, worth the <laughs> worth the the hard drive it would take. Right. We'll just call it the Coliseum. Um, so I mean, we know that it's a good to great pitchers park. Um, so a guy like Parker, uh, who's a pretty elite prospect, or even a guy like Malone, who's not necessarily, uh, but has been tested at the major league level a little bit and hasn't looked too bad. Um, you know, if you're getting starts every five days uh, in that sort of environment, you know, granted you might not get too many wins because the team might not be too great and the offense is probably also not going to be great. Uh, but those guys especially are interesting to me. Um, you know, they're more as a final starter in a deep A-only league or, or a streaming option in, you know, maybe a mixed league or uh, a shallower league. Um but, yeah, I mean, I, I looked towards the pitchers before even uh, Cespedes, but uh, I think I also would probably bump uh, the Cuban phenom up a little bit, maybe a couple spots, because this actually came out, uh, my rankings, that is, before he had even debuted in spring. So he looks pretty good, and they're obviously going to go with him at center field, as you said. So uh, the power sure seems to be for real, uh, and, of course, how that will play and the Coliseum is another matter, but uh, anytime you got a starting player who's basically pretty guaranteed for you know 500 plus at bats, you have to consider that as well. Seems like uh, the A's the A's players generally are going to be more valuable in uh, in a linear weights type league, uh, like you find with Auto New, um, as opposed to to a standard five by five league. What do you think about that? Um, I think there's merit to that. Um, I mean, like a guy like last year, uh, Jamal Weeks, uh, was probably, that was probably true for because he hit, you know, 290 plus, um, and, you know, had a decent amount of doubles. But he also stole some bases, uh, and probably will again. So it's one of those things where in a five by five, there's also a little bit of value. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, uh, for the most part, you're probably right. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I guess, especially with regard to wins, um, because you know, in a division where they're playing the, the Rangers and the Angels a bunch, um, uh, although I did see, uh, I think on on Twitter, uh, didn't Tom Verducci maybe pick the Oakland A's to win the AL West? Is that a possibility? I have no idea. We'll, we'll have to get yeah. Exactly. 
I'll let our intern uh, cover that. But I, I believe that <laughs> he said something to that effect. Um, but yeah, the uh, you know when you have a guy like uh, Malone, um, as he mentioned, with the run support that he's likely to receive. Same thing with Jared Parker or, or Brad Peacock, I guess. Uh, it's it the the wins are not necessarily going to be there, but um, as you know, uh, the the effects of the stadium um, are are beneficial to pitchers, especially. Yes, I think uh, from that perspective, yes, I wouldn't count on for wins, sort of five by five in that sense. No, but uh, you know, if you can get a mid to low three ERA and you know a passable whip, and you know, in the case of maybe like a Parker, uh, you know, seven strikeouts per nine, that sort of thing, uh, linear weights leagues will will look better there. Now let's let's talk about uh, the names right at the top of your list. There, we can go. Uh, we'll go one, two, three. One, two, three is uh, Matt Moore, left-handed starter for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, number two, Hugh Darvish, uh, right-handed starter, uh, free agent signing um, by the Rangers. And then he- Jesus Montero, uh, and specifically you note um, Jesus Montero with uh, catcher eligibility uh, because, um, you know, if, he's, if, he, if you're having to field him as a DH or utility slot, uh, not going to be as effective there. You, you do note a little bit of, um, I, I don't know, of ang- not necessarily anxiety, but uh, there were some questions for you as to who would go first, Darvish or Moore. You ultimately went with Moore. Maybe talk about that decision a little. Sure. Um, I mean, I think I really, when I set it out on this uh, you know, journey of top 100, uh, which in my mind started like the day after last season ended, uh, so it's been a while, um, I... I think I had Darvish in mind, you know, assuming that he was going to come over, um, because, you know, obviously he would be having a rotation spot locked up from opening day and would be in position to make 30, 35 starts and basically no questions asked. Uh, and I think the biggest hang-up for me was really that he, as much as we know about him, he's still a an unknown, and, you know, we've obviously gone through other Japanese players and uh, pitchers who have been okay or their stuff hasn't quite translated to the major leagues and, you know, whether it's Dice K. Matsuzaka or whoever else, you know, you expect the world and they're, you know, sort of just okay. And they don't uh, they don't hurt you in fantasy necessarily, but they're also not living up to the hype. Um, and obviously with more, the question is more about, the fact that the Rays have about 452 pitchers on their staff—is is that possible? That, that seems—that uh, seems like a like a huge number. Um, okay, so I might have overestimated a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, they have at least five other guys then that they could start. Um, and in theory, you know, this is a team that in the past has um, let their prospects sort of wallow in AAA a little bit. You know, I'm thinking of like Delman Young, who got. Uh, was in AAA for so long that he was annoyed at them back in the day that they weren't calling him up so he could uh, start making money sooner. Um, but, I mean, I think Moore is the exception for them where he's so good that whether it's, you know, from opening day or three weeks into the season, uh, he will make an immediate impact and probably strike out a bunch of guys and is not, uh, you know, whether it's Jeff Neiman is traded or... Uh, Wade Davis goes to the bullpen, they will find a way to fit him in. And I think uh, I would prefer more to Darvish, uh, 
just from a straight up, if you told me that they were starting opening day both, I would go with more. You go with more, yeah. Now, uh, uh, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you maybe about uh, some other prospects um, whose, whose statuses, uh, I, I guess, probably have changed um, since you last um, put together this list or since you put together this list at all, I should say. Um, and I'm curious as to where you to where you see them now. Uh, one name uh, pitcher that I I'm particularly excited about. Uh, he was number 40 overall on your list. Uh, is Garrett Richards, right-hander for the Angels. Uh, Richards um, does not necessarily have strikeout secondary stuff, but he throws a fastball uh, that sits at about 94, 95 miles per hour, and at least in the minors um, has had uh, pretty excellent actually. Uh, walk rates. It appears now at this point that there's a possibility um, with Jerome Williams, the uh, nominal fifth starter for the Angels, um, out at the moment at least. Uh, it appears as though Garrett Richards could get some April starts. Um, and I'm curious as to as to how, if if at all, your opinions have changed uh, with regard to Richards. Yeah, I, mean, I think that my opinion on him hasn't changed in terms of how, you know, the, what the write-up says about him, but the fact that he might have a little bit more opportunity now would bump him up maybe five to ten spots, maybe a little bit more. Um, obviously, the Angels are looking like a strong team, and that he's got plenty of guys to learn from uh, at the major league level in terms of the rotation mates. So, uh, you know, he could, he could, uh, snag a couple cheap wins. Um, he does have the stuff. Uh, his fastball's a little bit straight. I remember watching him, uh, in a game last year against the Yankees. I think it was his major league debut. Uh, and he was okay. He was sort of dancing around the zone, nibbling a little bit. His fastball's a little bit straight. Um, so you do want to see a little bit of development in his off-speed stuff, uh, before you get too excited. But certainly, uh, if a guy like that's going to get you know, a handful of starts before Williams is ready, um, then I would bump him up and, uh, you know, he'd be a guy that I would consider in ALE as a last starter or a streaming potential. I, I mean, I wouldn't jump on him necessarily from the first day, but I, I think I'd like to see how his uh, first start or two goes before going off the deep end with him. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's a good guy to like. The um, Another guy... Um who has had a, a pretty excellent spring, or, or at least uh, has maybe um, raised some expectations with his spring, is a, is a middle infield prospect for the Twins, Brian Dozier. Um, I I don't know if this is a question of Dozier uh, Dozier being that excellent, or of the um, um, or of the Twins middle infield, um, you know, being uh, you know. Below average, um, you know they did sign Jamie Carroll over the off season, although you know there is a potential version of the Twins infield that could have Carroll, who's probably stretched short anyway, uh, playing second base, starting at second base with Alexi Casilla moving to um, a utility role. Uh, but Dozier is getting some attention. Ron Gardner has said that he would not keep Dozier around. The Twins would not keep Dozier around at the major league level as a utility player. However, if he distinguishes himself. Um, that they would think about him as a starter and, again, moving Carroll over to second base. I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if Dozier actually even appeared on the original list. I, you know, I don't know necessarily how you feel about him now either. No, he didn't. Um, but I do actually like him as a guy that, you know, in the last couple of weeks I've been 
uh, reading up a little bit more on him and sort of following along, obviously, you know, the Twins haven't had a shortstop or second baseman for quite a while of any value besides maybe like J.J. Horry. Um, and even that year, he was hurt. Um, so that's kind of been, it's, it's weird how some teams literally just have black holes at certain spots. And, you know, anybody that is, uh, again, breathing has some value. I do like Jojo. I think he could um, be sort of, in a weird way, like Jamie Carroll, uh, maybe a little bit more speed. Obviously, he's like 15 years younger. Um, but he's got a nice uh, approach to play. He doesn't strike out a ton, walks a decent amount. Uh, I mean, certainly in an AL only league, if he makes the team and you know becomes eligible at shortstop, you know, as a as a middle infield guy or maybe even as a shortstop, uh, I would certainly consider him. Uh, again, I don't know. He, he also hasn't played above Double A, so it's, it's another one of those things where he probably was expected to start at Triple A and sort of see how he did. Um, but like you said, the, the situation there isn't great. So I mean, if he, he's a guy that I could see grabbing the job and being sort of like. Darwin Barney, maybe, of the Cubs last year, who kind of came from out of nowhere and, and ended up being pretty good and didn't hurt you, uh, but necessarily didn't help you either. Yeah. Uh, and then a third player, and uh, I'll let you go, whatever it is you do in Long Island all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is about one of our paisans, actually. Uh, sure. Uh, Washington Nationals uh, have had a uh, – their middle infielders have had a tough spring. Um, um Danny Espinosa's contact problems we know about, and um, um, he struck out quite a bit this spring. Although he has performed well enough, I think, um, in the regular season, um, um, last year being his official rookie season, um, to, to believe that that's not, um, you know, that's not a great uh, thing to worry about. However, Ian Desmond, while probably more valuable in five by five leagues because of the stolen bases. Um, has been a below-average major league shortstop the last two seasons and is also having a miserable spring. And we know, um, or at least it's very likely that Danny Espinosa could cover short, um, which might uh, open up a spot for Steve uh, Lombardozzi at second base for the Washington Nationals. Lombardozzi is a player who does not necessarily have a lot of tools, uh, however, seems to play up – given, uh, you know, maybe it's a question of pedigree because his father was a major league baseball player. Uh, maybe it's something else. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious, finally, what you think about Lombardozzi. Uh, no, I, I like him, actually. I think I liked him in my 20s, uh, if I remember correctly. And he'd probably sit about there still. Um, I, I think he was a guy that I felt good about, uh, you know, going a little bit out on a ledge, if I can, you know, call ranking guy in the 20s going out on a ledge or on a limb. Um, but, you know, he isn't really that well-known, uh, but, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Desmond. Uh, I would like to see what Espinosa could do at short. Uh, I think his offensive game would obviously translate there a lot better. Uh, and Lombardazzi could steal 20 bases. He's got a little bit of speed. Uh, similar to Dozier in his approach, he kind of, you know, makes good contact. Um, and, I mean, even if he doesn't, win the starting job at second base, you know, off opening day, I could see Desmond being so bad that they want to give him regular reps at second and move um, move them around in the infield so that basically he can get 
350 at bats or more and and looked good doing it. I think he could hit you know 290, 300 from the get go and be a nice, uh, if not more, uh, middle infield guy for an NL league. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's all excellent stuff. I will take uh, all of that under advisement. Uh, uh, Jason you but um, and and as it was uh, the last time we had you on, it has this time as well been a pleasure. It, it is on this end as well. Yeah, good. Well, uh, stick around momentarily. We'll have some adult conversation uh, after the recording. Uh, but for the meantime, I'll, I'll thank you uh, for joining us. Um, that has been Jason Catania. Uh, I have been and will continue to be Carson Sestouli. And uh, this has been another episode of Fangraphs Audio. Oh, oh, oh.